Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. very important political and muted tonight because it is the 69th edition and I am 69 um, and uh, one of our members will be getting exceptionally excited so just calm down Neil and uh, don't commit any indiscretions because you got overexcited. I speak as a former <laughs> teacher. Um, welcome to the team. And um, we have our resident wonder man, Paul Daly. Hello, Paul. Hello. Um, we have our deep thinking man of deep words, Stuart Sutherland. Say hello, Stuart. Hello. We have our um, sort of miss do everything and go everywhere and be everything to everybody, <laughs> Samantha Townsend. Say hello, Samantha. Hello. And we're just delighted to welcome back Jane Strange, who is rapidly, watch out, Stuart, establishing herself as the woman who makes the good statements. Welcome, St and Jane. Hello. Hello. Thank you. And to all you people beginning to sign in, Mark Longley, you were the first. Welcome, welcome. Hello to all you and to, of course, to all the people who are watching um, on the podcast later. This is Political Unmuted. And um, I think we just go straight, Paul. Now, for the 69th edition, um, we have just decided that I'm going to ignore Paul um, for every question. So I'm going to go straight to him to try and make amends. <laughs> so your first, Paul, um, for your moment of the week, please. How many do I get this week, John? So, oh, you can have two. You can have two. You can have two. Oh, yes. brilliant. Okay, well, one of them, I'll, I'll go I'll go two Labour leaders then uh, in that case, uh, one former, one present. So the present Labour leader released a statement yesterday, which was really kind of funny. If it wasn't so tragic, it was like, we are the party of workers. Therefore, I've been speaking to business about how unskilled you are. And we're going to talk to them about how we can possibly skill you up because actually you're not very skilled. And it was like the worst constructed... Um, like message in support of work as I have ever seen. It was just kind of like, you know, sometimes I think that maybe they've missed the idea that they're called the Labour Party and they want to be called the Boss Party. But, you know, uh, that's that. And then another former Labour leader has released a statement today. Um, Jeremy Corbyn has uh, re released a press statement saying, Councillor Paul Nicholson to pay substantial damages and legal, legal costs to Jeremy Corbyn regarding a false defamatory statement. And this was the one where um, they showed Jeremy Corbyn laying a wreath on the, um, on that blown up car, which is pretty disgusting. Um, and it's a very substantial apology. It's readable on Jeremy Corbyn's Facebook page um, and probably on Twitter as well. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's just bit, it's the kind of thing that really should have happened a long time ago, where they're saying like all these all these ideas that he supports terrorism are completely false. But the press went on about it, and people went on about it on TV, and um, they know that there's no substance in this. They know that it wouldn't stand up in to any sort of scrutiny. What a shame we're in this absolute pathetic position that we find ourselves in as a country because everyone was so willing to believe the worst about a good man. Yes, um, uh, outrageous and um, good for him doing that. Um, thank you, Paul, to smashing moments of the week. Um, the sort of uh, both of them challenging in their own way. Sam, moments of your week. Yeah, on the Sunday, there was a, 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 a collection of, of national sort of everywhere, not a national demo, but nationally spread demonstrations uh, in support of midwives, which I just thought was lovely. It was lovely because it was really grassroots. It wasn't led by people like me or, or politicians or it was led by people, parents, mothers midwives um, and other people who support birth and birthing people. So um, I just thought it was really good, but I'm in a Facebook group for that. And, and Neil, speak of him again, Neil <laughs> um, went down to Leeds and photographed the demonstration down there. Um, it's really interesting being in their group and I've watched them sort of develop and seeing people ask questions like, how, is, how has it got to the people who were just clicking that things are wrong and saying, you know, how has it got this way? Can't, you know, the CQC intervene or, you know, is there someone we can complain to? And, and suddenly uh, coming to the understanding that the system isn't broken, it's working in exactly the way it was designed to. Um, uh, the, the government responded that there are more midwives than ever before. I mean, what, what, what's your statement about that? I just, I want people to look outside their window and see what is actually happening, right? Last time I checked, there weren't functioning showers in Darlington midwifery, the Darlington maternity unit. Um, people couldn't get a shower in the maternity unit. They had to go to a different unit. In Bishop Auckland, I was booked in to go to Bishop Auckland Hospital to have my second child. Nobody actually told me it had closed. <laughs> and basically, I, I got to Darlington just in time for somebody to catch. And that meant that I was forced into a home birth that I didn't actually want with my third child because there's nowhere I can safely give birth. That We, sh we shouldn't be in a, in a situation. And, and that, that was six years ago. It's definitely got worse since then. So I think um, when people see these statements, such as there's the most funding ever gone into X service, there's more midwives than ever, I think they should ask a midwife before they uh, go for some Tory lies. Thank you, Sam. We'll be talking more about that kind of thing in relation to the NHS for our first big story. Jane, moment of the week. So, um, 
So I'm quite excited about my moment of the week because um, I found out um, that yesterday Harry Leslie Smith's son, John Smith, he started up a newsletter, which is pretty brilliant, but um, he's going to be serialising Harry's memoirs in it, um, putting political essays, and he wants to start a Harry Leslie Smith Foundation, which would make me so happy because Harry Leslie Smith was such an amazing man and John seems like such a lovely, lovely person. He was on um, one of the Saturday Night um, Socialist Live night shows sorry, on Saturday with um, about refugees and he's just um, a genuinely lovely person. Um, and we should not forget Harry and his generation. And if you read his the books that he wrote about growing up before the NHS, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I think people really need to know and remember this. Thank you, yes. Um, how can you, I, 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 is there a link we can post in the chat or something like that, Jane? So I'm going to attempt to share the link without losing my internet connection, which I think is slightly dodgy today. So if I freeze for a second, I'll be back while I'll be posting the link. It's okay. Well, hurry back because you're kicking off on the NHS. Stuart, you've got to, if, if, if Jane disappears, you'll just have to keep talking for a while. Stuart, what's your moment of the week? Mine is that a, a disgraced, ex-conservative MP uh, I won't say his name because one he's a sex offender and two it's a really hard name to say uh, he's stood up in court and said that he can't pay the court costs of £35,000 because he's on universal credit the same the same man this, this, this poor guy voted six times not to increase universal credit payments to claimants because it wasn't enough and uh now, now he's now he's pleading poverty at the other end of it, and it's a shame that you know you've got to be a disgraced sex offender to be taken seriously when you say that universal credit isn't enough money. I mean, the withdrawal of legal aid also in that situation was just one of the biggest injustices of our century, I think. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Jane, you're still here. I'm still here. Thank goodness for that. Let's move on. Now it's time for the big story. This is Rose because um, I really rather cheated you last week and wouldn't let you have the story that you wanted to discuss. I made you wait way too weak for it, but I promise you that it would be the, the, the big story. So it's a kind of a, a fortnight's worth of, of news that we're going to be talking about here. And this is basically the, the, the idea that the NHS, NHS is at breaking point and, and uh, that um, that level of pressure is unsustainable and that it's damaging um, care in general um, and uh, sort of Jane um, at what level on a scale of one to ten would you put um, the level of crisis in the NHS at the moment T tell us all about it I think we've we're, we're slightly past ten now aren't we some people would say it's a lot higher than that it seems like the staff are crying out for help it seems like they're at breaking point every doctor's 
you know, have had a campaign for some time now. Um, there's a few NHS campaigns going on, trying to get Sajid Javid to do something about the crisis that we're walking into this this winter after the 11 years of Tory underfunding, two years of a pandemic where it feels like government ministers have just seen it as a free-for-all to help themselves to or their friends to, you know, lucrative PPE contracts for PPE that wasn't even available to the staff and didn't work if they did get it. We've got tens of thousands less hospital beds than we had when this government first came into government. We've got a huge staffing crisis. We didn't have enough staff um, years ago, but um, with the um, removal of the nursing bursary um, and then the badly negotiated Brexit deal, which has led to us losing so many European staff members. Um, and then the pandemic, so many staff are just leaving the leaving the health sector because of what they've been through over the last two years after the trauma they'd already been through of, with nine years of Tory government. It's in a critical state. And we, I read a story yesterday about um, an ambulance crew who said that on their 11 hour shift they'd only managed to treat one patient and they wanted to treat a lot more but they'd spent the whole time waiting outside the hospital for a bed because there wasn't a bed and there were people on the phones hanging on and I'm reading stories about people dying waiting for ambulances and I mean the, for the patients for the patient's families this is horrific can you imagine what it must be for a staff member being aware that you're part of something that's malfunctioning to that extent you know through no fault of your own through managed underfunding um, and the new legislation that's been put through in the last two days is couldn't be further from the solution to this it's basically a huge restructuring which offers nothing to solve the solution to the staffing crisis which offers no new funding it puts private um, private companies on the boards of NHS decision making bodies it spits the NH up, NHS up into 42 separate little organisations it's, um, it removes the tendering process, which is supposed to offer more choice for the NHS if you read the reports on it. But I don't understand how the current process where you put out a tender and anyone can offer moving to a situation where you do a do deal with one person behind closed doors. I don't understand how that's offering more choice to the NHS. It seems the opposite to me. A restructuring anywhere demoralises staff. But to do this to staff who are already so traumatised and stretched right now, it's just a horrific thing to do to the staff and it's completely immoral that this is happening to the country and I don't think people know about it. Um, it's just, I mean, my second question was what's going wrong, but quite frankly, you've just given an absolutely devastating explanation of all the things that are going wrong. I mean, I suppose the next question is, is this 100% down to an incompetent government or, or are there other factors fueling all those issues that you've just talked about? I can't think of anything that's out of the control of this government to have, you know, done a lot better. Every, all of the things that are failing are within the remit of government to control and manage and then they're either not managing it or they're purposely purposefully managing it badly um 
I, I don't know which it is. I'm not sure they care very much, to be honest, because I don't understand how they can watch what's happening to the staff and the devastating appeals we've seen from staff throughout the pandemic. I think we've all seen them. How can you watch that and just not care? How can you watch that and know that nurses are going to food banks um, and then sit there as an MP and tell them that although you were recommended they should have a higher pay rise, they shouldn't, but because you were recommended to yet again have a 10% pay rise, oh dear, you'd better. How can you do that if you really care? Um, sort of, it, it, one's personal experience uh, affects how one looks at this. It's, it's, um, the crisis isn't just about either, is it um, uh, about the, the staff who are crumbling under the pressure of just having everything dumped on them um, with insufficient resources to do it. And, and it's not even uh, about the, 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 the problem of um, the ambulances and, 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 and the, the inability to treat people. I, there's this hidden epidemic of a failure to care properly for people who are stacking up with existing um, uh, conditions, which the, the NHS is just not getting round to deal with, isn't it? Sort of people who have um, developing cancers, people who have diabetes, people who have um, all kinds of conditions, um, uh, cataracts that aren't getting a, a, a addressed. And this is just building up and building up a huge head of steam. Um, isn't it Wales that has a record number of people ever with um, unlooked at conditions? I mean, sort of which of these would you say? You're going to tell me they're all as important as the other, aren't they? T tell me, uh, sort of, um, which are you most worried about? The, the current uh, pressure on staff or this? unaddressed um, backlog of, of conditions? I think they're both terrible, aren't they? They're both terrible and I really, really care about the staff. But one of the other worst things that this new legislation does is that it removes actually the duty for care to be given. Um, and so that that kind of shows to me what the response is to this huge backlog of people needing treatment. Some of those people just won't get treatment. They've just decided, like when they scrapped the child poverty measures because they didn't want to think about how much child poverty there was, they'll just take away the, the duty to care and then we don't have to treat the people and, and people will die and suffer and that will become normal in this country and we'll, we'll become like America where people are regularly bankrupted through buying through paying for routine medical treatment it seems to be the way that we're going and that that I think is even worse than what's happening to the staff because people will die thank you I mean that's what you just told me there is is I think the most devastating thing the removal of the duty to care um, is is ultimately a betrayal of the NHS isn't it and a betrayal of the north um Sam, you were talking about the, the midwives and um, about the, the government lies, basically, about that they're putting more and more resources. Is the answer just to chuck money at this, to, to actually just give a lot greater resources to the NHS? Uh, yeah, Tories like to say chuck money at the problem, like money doesn't help 
um, services run effectively. Uh, there are loads of things that we need to look at. We need to look at how care workers appeared. We need to look at how they are valued and how they are progressed in their in their field of work and, and given the opportunity to thrive and to be proud of their place of work. And 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 we need to look at the fact that you know we we know the vast majority of us will have the privilege of getting old and, and for the, a lot of us then there will be some care needs associated with that what the government have thought up oh no we're not talking about that are we no we're not we're talking about the nhs <laughs> but it's relevant <laughs> just substitute the word uh, medical care be the word medical before care and you're away it's the same same yeah, business, isn't it? yeah i'm just i have a very long day the nhs yeah you know what money helps that's what i'm gonna say <laughs> you, you can say you can say throw money at it but Money, money does help. Um, we we talk about we were talking about restructuring things, the new restructuring they're going to have instead of CCGs. And um, talking to other councillors the other day, they were like, "We're always restructuring." And you know, who does it benefit? Doesn't seem to benefit anybody on the ground. Doesn't benefit the workers. It must benefit someone, or it wouldn't happen. <laughs> so I think there's a big question to ask there about who does it benefit. Let's follow the money um, and find out who is actually getting the money. <laughs> Seeing as I seem to be talking in, in, in tropes at the moment, it's, it's, it's just reorganising the decks on the, the 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 deck chairs on the Titanic, isn't it? The, so the, what are we going to do? Oh my God. Well, let's reorganise the deck chairs. I mean, the government is chucking money at it, isn't it, Sam? I mean. I read one article which says that they're spending one million pounds a day on consultants uh, for test and trace. Um, <laughs> so there is there it is. That's where the money's going. Yeah. And I saw some analysis the other day again at the council um, talking about how much money is spent on acute services and acute services are, of course, expensive. Um, and I do wonder you know, how much of that money could be spent by saved by helping people before their illness becomes acute. Um, and I'm not obviously as as technologies progress, uh, things are expensive. High tech modern medicines are expensive. Fair enough. But uh, when we were talking last week about cycling, you know, how expensive is it to set up a bike higher scheme in every town in this country i don't think that's too much to ask yeah i mean sort of um you've got to be careful from uh, arguing from your own specific case but um barbara had a real crisis with her kidneys um as you know the, the this uh, early this summer and um the um we've all changed i mean it's a bit do I have to switch like this to get my head in the in the you know, sort of? Um, but um, we were checking back, and uh, there were just three tests done on her in 2020, just three, and sort of a whole load of stuff that was developing has just got missed, you know. And the result of that is um, is, is is the crisis that we saw. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, Stuart. Um, when you look on the continent, I mean, the rioting on the continent, I mean, it, it, it's sort of much, much worse at the moment over there. COVID is just running riot, and the government's having to take extreme measures. And, and 
the, the system is uh, really collapsing over there. I mean, uh, our, our staff, wonderful as they are, are struggling to cope. Um, so in places on the continent, it's just disintegrating under the pressure. Um, I mean, do you think we're being a bit hard on the government and on the condition of the NHS, given this external pressure from um, COVID, from coronavirus? No, not, not at all. I mean, clearly the NHS operates differently to how our friends on the continent run their medical systems. Many of them are, you know, co-pay systems. There's different aspects to how they operate and how they're managed. Uh, what I think is happening is we're seeing a, a capital elite uh, seize the opportunity to break us down much quicker than they maybe anticipated to, to create opportunity to put money in people's pockets who shouldn't have it. Um, do you, can you, I mean, so, some of those measures being, uh, that yes is the answer, thank you for that comment. Um, the uh, sort of, the, the people, uh, the countries abroad, they're beginning to take some quite extreme measures. I mean, do you think we need to take those measures here, Stuart, to try and, and, and ease that pressure on the NHS? I think it would, as a group of people, we need to, you know, realise how important the NHS, NHS is to our, our daily lives, our, you know, the fabric of our society. And as people, we should cling on to that and really push the government to take the, the most, you know, Desperate measures. Imagine the itchy nan who's needing uh, extraordinary measures to be kept alive in a hospital. You want those measures to be taken, don't you? You don't want to say, no, it's going to cost too much. You don't sit back. You, you, you need a doing that, you know, that's that's how we have to, to think about things. Uh, the, the NHS is on life support at the moment, yes. you know. Would you, I mean, would you contemplate cancelling Christmas? Would you, would you contemplate um, returning to any form of lockdown? I mean, at the moment, what they're doing is they're just hoping that rolling out the um, vaccination system faster and faster will just keep the lid on enough for them to be able to, to, to avoid extreme measures like that. I mean, do, do you think it's necessary to do both? Uh, first of all, I don't think a lockdown cancels Christmas. You know, I think what it does is slow people from going to the shops and spending loads of money, which I think is the uh, the reason why they don't want to do it in government. But we, we end up down this roadmap on COVID based on decisions that were taken months ago. And we know who to blame for those decisions. It, uh, it lies squarely at the feet of Boris Johnson and his government. Um, thank you, Stuart. Um... Paul, draw everything to a close for us. I mean, what, what, what's, the, what's the score here? Um, we've heard that um, the, the team generally feel it's the government's fault. They generally feel that lack of money is an issue, but stronger measures would be, um, would be, would be possible and would be welcome. I mean, what's your take on all this? I think it's um I think it's deeply complex and I think it's more sinister than um than a lot of us think if we just think in terms of money just think in terms of like this government successive governments have um have gradually privatized the NHS and they've seen the public sector as a cash cow and this is something that people don't really understand and I think this was really badly understood in 2019 
when they talked about the privatisation of the NHS, they didn't mean that immediately you'll start paying for your for um for your treatment on the you know as you walk into a hospital as you walk into a doctor's. What was meant by it was that more and more private companies will be involved, which means you get a poorer service because they have to pay shareholders. And I think that's what a lot of people miss on this. Like, so in the US, when people, uh, Jane referred to people going bankrupt in the US, but the public sector pay four times per head what we pay in this country. So for every pound spent on the NHS, they spend four pounds of public money on that. And that is to make sure that those privateers, the, the big farmer or people who run hospitals or whatever, get their profits. And this is massively, massively misunderstood, but this is capitalism. This is modern capitalism. Um, this is not the the kind of capitalism in with it, the NHS kind of grew up within, you know, it was a socialist concept within a capitalist world. Capitalism is just this absolute monster that is eating everything. It's pushing everything. And you're saying like, you're talking about putting more money into the NHS. Yeah, but if it's just going to go into like people, a consultant's pocket, then what is the point of that? We need to think about what our services are for. They're for people's health. They're to help people. They are not to have a swathe of um, bureaucrats working in middle management, which is what happens to make sure that like you know no one sues them. And we, it's also like not to make sure that shareholders get paid. It's something different, and that is fundamental to what the NHS should be and the public sector should be. And we've really, really lost that in my view and we're losing it in education as well. We're losing it across the board where profit matters more than outcomes. Um, so that's, that's where we are at the moment. Profit is more important than health. It's deeply depressing. Thank you. And, um, Sometimes, Paul, I wonder, I mean, is there a way out? Uh, is there any hope here? Um, so uh, everything you've said, all of you, is just so true. But it just leaves me thinking, um, is there any hope for me as I get older? I mean, what can I look forward to except just being sort of, in, at best, sat on, on, on a... Um, a wheelchair in, um, in, in, in a corridor whilst they ignore me and probably worse um, not being picked up at all is there, is there any hope where, where, where do we need to go from here to make it better we are the hope and by we I mean ordinary people I mean people with, uh, with left wing views people with working class views we need to come together and I'm talking about all sorts of different people here. So I, I know people who have politically different views to me, but when it comes to talking about looking after working class people, they really care. And when you explain to them what exactly is happening in, in the NHS, they are disgusted and everyone will be disgusted at what's going on. The problem is that there is no one in the media who really wants to push this home. There's been some talk in the chat which has been very interesting about why the media aren't all over this. Every now and then you get a panorama programme and then people talk about it for a week and then it's gone. 
and nothing really happens and there's no sustained pressure and you have uh, We Own It or Keep Our NHS Public, those kind of groups who are trying to keep the pressure on all the time, but there's nothing sustained in the media. So we have to do it ourselves. Which The whole reason this channel exists is to get some real information out there. This is not propaganda, this is fact. And I believe, I personally believe, that most people are good. And if more people heard this kind of message without being spoken down to, without being patronised, it's not their fault they don't understand that information just is not out there. If we can get that message out there through whatever media outlet we can, that is our hope and that is our power. But we need to use every little last scrap of energy that we have on this one. So it's the whole reason this channel exists is to try to change a few people's minds. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely brilliant. And thank you, everybody, for your comments. Very depressing as they were. Um, I've got a comment for Neil Terry. Um, no, this is not the yin and yang show. There's, it's only yin here. You get no yang. No, there's no, no yang. It's yin, yin, and more yin. That's all I'm prepared to say at this point. Um, let's move on. Paul. A betrayal of the North, Sam. Grant Shapps doesn't agree. What do you think? Tell <laughs> about the decision to chair to sort of cut HS2 off at Toton. Yeah, I mean, I didn't believe a word Grant Shapps uh, said before, but every time anybody says his name, I just feel like saying, or is it Philip Green? Sam, <laughs> <laughs> this is... Just such, I mean, gosh, why is our our politics such a parody of itself? It's just unbelievable, right? So I'll I'll come out and say I wasn't a huge fan of of um, the thing <laughs> in the first place, right? I wasn't a huge fan of of um, oh, I forgot its name. You just said it. HS two. HS two. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. I wasn't a huge plant, a fan of HS2, uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm happy that the northern leg is being scrapped. I think, you know, there's a point where, you know, the, the, the local sort of phrase is, you know, you piss or you get off the pot. And they've sat on the pot for too long, John. <laughs> and, and, and there's so many people who've been affected and businesses have to have time to plan. And they've planned with, with an idea of this thing's coming down the track and it's not. So it's just another omni shambles from this government. Um, what do I want to happen? I, I want people to have more local rail service connections. I don't go to Birmingham often and I'm not likely to, but <laughs> Tim Dredge in the comments put up a Facebook post. He said, you know, you could electrify the, the train from Saltburn to Shildon and you'd be dragging that line screeching into the 1960s. <laughs> our, our rail infrastructure up here is Victorian. It is embarrassing. And what is even more embarrassing is that there are laws in place to stop state-run uh, rail franchises, except in an emergency. But the vast majority of our private 
uh, train companies are are subsidiaries of the national uh, rail network in other countries. Other countries are getting profit from our railway and investing it in their own. Um, and anybody who's been to the continent will know their rail infrastructure is vastly superior to us. And that's why. Um, I, I've got a question for you, Sam, about um, the Weirdale Railway. I mean, you have got the Weirdale Railway, aren't you? I mean, you must be pleased about that. Yes. Um, it's more of a tourist thing than a getting people to work thing, though, isn't it? And and while um, it's it's good, any any potential glimmer for economic growth in the northeast is always a good thing. Um, I I just think, you know, there are places nearby Eldon. Dean Valley, if you don't have a car, you can't have a job because people won't employ you because they know how poor the public transport system is. So we, we're starting from a very low base and we really need to get the basics right. And they're still spending twice as much per head on transport in London as they are on transport in the northeast. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, outrageous. Um, uh, Jane, um, you're from down south, aren't you? I mean, presumably, you've got no sympathy for us up north at all. It's a sort of, um, uh, you must be leaping up and down at the, the improvements that they're making to your transport system down south. That's not very socialist, though, John. <laughs> <laughs> so we've actually got HS1 running through the town that I live in. Um, so we've been really fortunate to have that um, and I think it's I just think it's awful that people are in a situation where you know they you have to have a car to get to work it's wrong it's really wrong the buses um, where we are um, they just cut them two years ago and there were villages who'd had a bus service previously and those villages just don't have a bus service anymore so those people in those villages got a few weeks notice that you know as presumably they had to leave their jobs if that was how they were getting to work because there was no other way and and when you look at the situation with the environment it just seems like a no-brainer that you sort out your public transport the public transport like Sam says if you go to Germany or just about any other country it's so much better than it is here it's more frequent it's cleaner it's more efficient it's cheaper and part of that is because they're you know a lot of those companies are providing services here and making taking profit out of it because that's how how our system works for them to do that I've, uh, we've just got such a bad our government's got such a bad attitude to public transport here it feels like it's a really low priority for them it just runs in the background and they're not too interested in it and it feels like they've used this to get votes at the last election um, from people in the north it just feels very immoral what they've done I mean, what what they're saying, what Grant Chaps was saying, was that although they've cancelled the headline HS2 up the, the, the northeast side of the country, in fact, they, they, they're actually spending more money uh, and improving more services uh, sort of um, by not doing so. I mean, do you buy that or is this just an, an, another tourist smokescreen? I think perhaps people would have been a bit more generous to that um, viewpoint if that's what they'd originally be told they were getting. Um, but it seems like they've rushed this out as a small little bit of compensation to try to brush under the carpet the mess they've made with this with the HS2 situation. 
Thank you, Stuart. The, um, I mean, there's a lot of opposition to HS2. Um, sort of, I mean, people quite rightly said, didn't they? What's the point of shaving 20 minutes off the journey to, um, to, to, to London? What we need is, and um, particularly east-west transport links, and, 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 and Sam and Jane are absolutely right, a huge, massive investment in the um, infrastructure and provision of local transport. So um, you're caught in a trap, really. You, you know, are you really, do you really weep for the loss of HS2? Or, or actually, was it probably a decent, uh, the right decision in the long term to, to not do it? I mean, I've got no love for HS2 as an idea, uh, certainly uh, with the, the, you know, ecology aspect of it my concerns whenever looking at transport is like can people afford to use it you know this new integrated rail plan that they're putting forward says that we're going to shave 17 minutes off getting to london from newcastle you know i've been to london five times in my life that's not important to me getting those 17 minutes back will mean nothing being able to go you know to places like york or newcastle to work and that being affordable to do so that's important that hasn't changed at all None of this integrated real plan has changed at one iota for the people who currently live here, except shaving a couple of minutes off between maybe Darlington up to Durham or vice versa. Irrelevant, the plan. And there's this whole, you know, idea that it's just railways that need fixing. Like it's got to be an integrated transport plan. You know, you can't do a, a better railway system without doing better buses. You can't do better buses without looking at cycle lanes and you can't do cycle lanes if you can't get the basics of it you know paving in your street sorted there's places in my town where it's difficult to walk to the shops if you can't do walking you can't do high-speed trains we, we need we need better across the board and we need it to be accessible to everybody this is just more smoke screen to it to look like they've done something but the best that they're going to achieve is maybe the, the quality of trains that france had in the mid 80s Yes, catch up with France in the, the mid-80s would be a brilliant thing if we were to be able to do that. Um, I mean, I'm reminded of my former boss, Carl Marshall, who's um, the leader now of the Labour Group, I believe, on, on Durham County Council. And, and his, uh, he's just such an expert on transport. But what his um, point always was, there's no point in talking about the link between Newcastle and London, or even between Newcastle and Durham. It has to be the link between my doorstep and where I want to go. And that is so we don't just need a better rail system or a better bus system. We need a joined up system. And, and, and this, this was his point over and over again. And he's been a voice crying in the wilderness. Um, Paul, finally. Um, uh, I mean, I read one thing where sort of the, 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 the spending, sort of high, 96 billion on HS2, and it's just going to turn out to be um, uh, a link route into London from one part of the country. And, and it's not about levelling up the country at all. It's certainly not about bringing prosperity to different areas of the country. It's just about providing better contacts for, for London. Um, sort of, do you think that... Um, this was, as they were saying and have been saying, a betrayal of the Tory promise to level up the northeast. Depends what you think a betrayal is. Like, what, 
did anyone really believe them? You'd have to be an incredibly foolish person to believe what the Tories said. And I'm not 100% sure the people did really believe that they were going to do this thing, which is one of the reasons why they, these so-called betrayals aren't having the impact that they were going to do. You know, it's... They, this was a big backlash. This was a big Brexit vote. So I'm not sure people voted for them to do anything or expect them to do anything. They know they don't like us. They know they don't like working class people. They know they hate the North. You know, this is not like, this is not their comfort zone. It's just the same as they, you know, they're not bothered about Scotland. They're not bothered about Wales. They really, really aren't bothered. They've got their own little system. As long as they control the country and have their... Uh, green and pleasant land um, <laughs> still voting Tory they'll be okay the gerrymandering the vote they are really really not worried about our votes next time they're going to have enough votes to get through the boundary changes and and make sure that they'll be okay next time and they'll be in government forever and you know with Labour having lost Scotland as well um, and, and the way Scotland and other areas feel about Labour at the moment I don't think they're particularly worried. So whether or not it was a betrayal, it was certainly a lie that they told in order to get elected. Whether it's a betrayal or not, like they have no loyalty to us. You can only betray those that you are loyal to. You know, it's not, it's, it's not a real betrayal, is it? They, they do care about Peppa Pig World. That's a ticket. Um um, uh, thank you, Paul. Um, in your role as sweeper, God bless you. <laughs> um, the uh, last topic um, is the uh, social care gap, um, which has been uh, a second major crisis. Um, Stuart, um, Polly Toynbee said that, in effect, the Tories are denying care to poorer people. I mean, is it as desperate as that, what they've done? Um, what, what, t t tell us about... Yeah, what's happened and, 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 and what it means. Basically, they've got a, a law through where uh, your care would be paid by uh, an amount of assets. Uh, this is normally going to be your home. Obviously, housing prices across the country vary dramatically. So down in the south, your home is pretty much protected if you, you've got a relatively you know, uh, valuable home. The maximum that they're going to take is 85 grand to pay for your care, which would still leave a huge uh, amount of uh, equity in your home. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to disappear. Whereas up in the north, uh, in parts of Wales, other parts of the country, homes aren't as valuable. Even if, even if you bought your home outright, it's still maybe not going to be worth more than 100 grand in places. Some places won't even be worth 50 grand. So you would still lose your home. And there's a, a huge inequality of how uh, this is going to be paying for care. And it's, it's going to lead us to some really serious problems in the future as people you know, are forced into iffy situations, uh, basically needing to get out of a home at the end of their life for fear that it's going to be taken away from them, which is then going to leave a shortfall in the, the care system uh, which was the whole reason that we're supposed to be getting the money this way. So absolutely back to front system that isn't going to work. Um, Jane, the, um, it's not just the, um, the, 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 the value of the houses, which is a problem. Um, this was something that I found very difficult to understand. The Tories 
pushed through a last minute amendment, didn't they? Which made it even more unfair on uh, poorer people. Did, did you understand how that worked? Are you able to explain to us how that amendment worked to make it even more unfair? I'm, I'm not sure if I understand it properly. The way I understood it was um, that, is this to do with the cap on the 85,000 or? It was to do with council contributions. Oh to... yes, yeah, I did read that, yeah. So um, the 85,000 pound cap, um, if you are if you are eligible for the council contributions, the 85,000 pound cap won't take into account what the council's contributed, you'll still contribute the first £85,000 of your assets that you'll have. So um, it seems very unfair. I'm going to, to, to wonder if you're right there, and, and I'm prepared to be wrong here because I, it's so complicated, this, and this is where the win, isn't it? But I think the way that worked was that um, if you get... Um, help from the council towards your payments, they take those council contributions as part of your 85,000. So um, you won't, even though you may have only contributed 25,000, they're still gonna come to you for 85,000 pounds worth of your house. I think that that was how that was going to work. And, and, and sort of um, Consequently, the people who were the poorest, who needed the greatest help, were nevertheless going to be walloped for eighty-five thousand um, pounds. Sort of. Now, if I'm wrong on that, can somebody put, tell me on the um, on on the the thing? It just struck me as being um, just um, again a betrayal of levelling up, Jane, a betrayal of, of promises to help poorer people, and yet again just shoving um, money into the pockets of the wealthiest. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that this government isn't looking out for the poorest. It doesn't surprise me that they're protecting the wealthiest. I wish I was disappointed by, well, I am disappointed, you know, but I wish I was even slightly surprised by any of this. But there just seems to be no no limit to the depths that they'll sink to trying to suck the blood out of poor people in this country. And brazen about it, Jane. I mean, just absolutely openly brazen about it. They've got away with it because last time they tried something along these lines, there was a big outcry when Theresa May was um, prime minister. Perhaps it's slightly different what they're doing now, but in my simplified version of it, it seems like a little bit similar to what she said. And Boris Johnson's election pledge specifically said that no one would have to sell their home. And now they've gone back on it. And I'm not seeing the public outcry or the media outcry that I saw when Theresa May was prime minister. It seems like she wasn't in favour to the extent the current governing group are. Thank you. Sam, do you think that this is a case, do you think with Jane that this is a case of ask the rich to put the hand in their pockets and that's one hell of an outcry and we have to change our plans, uh, sort of but bash the poor and everybody just lets it slide through on the knob. Is this what's happening here? Well, people expect it from the Tories, don't they? And, uh, and that's what the uh, sort of reaction I had when I was talking about it on Facebook today was people saying, well, I, I already, my parents already had to sell their house to access their care, so nothing's changed. So 
nothing's happened. But something has happened. The government has chosen uh, one of potentially the most regressive forms of taxation we've ever seen, where, you know, you get to lose your house, but those down south can can keep theirs um, and pass it on to their children, which will then in turn, turn give them the leg up that your children never had. Uh, you know, I've got very complicated feelings about all of those things, but there's a basic fairness there that those with the broadest shoulders should should shoulder the, the most of the burden. And at the end of the day, like uh, Stuart was saying, if this is meant to help fix social care by providing it with more funding, it's not working, is it? We, we need people who are, you know, why isn't it a percentage of the value of your total assets? That would be a lot more fair wouldn't it? And it would net more money uh, that could be reinvested in the system. Uh, <laughs> let's not forget, there's lots of people done very well out of this pandemic. You know, all the people on this call and a lot of people who are watching have had a pretty shit time. But there are people there who have spent the last two years raking it in. There have been plenty of new millionaires created over the last two years. So let them pay some of the burden. Make sure we get people taxed fairly and properly in a way that everybody gets looked after when they need help. Um, there's lots of people doing very, very well out of the uh, exponential uh, growth of house values as well. Um, the um, do you agree with Jane that um, the the government promised that people wouldn't have to sell their homes? Boris and Johnson said so. Yeah, Boris Johnson put it put it as a December nineteen election pledge that no one would have to sell their homes. He did say that. What a liar! Thank you, Jane. Um, by the way, um, Tim Drage tells us that we're both wrong on on, on the, the amendment, so that uh, Tim Drage will know. I'm sure it's awful whatever it is. Put a link in, just read the link, sort of. Um, finally, Paul, Paul, um, a number, a surprising number of Tories um, were unhappy about this, just for the last couple of minutes. Um, sort of, do you think that um, we're seeing even moderate Tories beginning to see through this very right-wing regressive government? Um, one that surprised me was Esther McVeigh. Like, you know, she's not known for being progressive in the slightest. Maybe this is something that she's seen and so actually, no, this is, uh, this is wrong. Maybe she's in fear for her seat, um, you know, because this is going to upset a lot of older people, the traditional people who, um, who vote conservative on average or uh, older, um, pensioners and so on and this is going to be a sad thing for them um a lot of people who probably like kind of think of themselves as as having become a bit tory like you know they bought the houses under thatcher and you know they they feel like they are like little mini capitalists and then they get there and they're like actually you're not a mini capitalist because if you need any care your home's gone unless you've got a lot more money so i with regards to, uh, there's a bit mentioned about North-South earlier, and this isn't necessarily North-South, this is poor, rich. This is like people with expensive homes versus uh, people with, and on average, the houses in, in Southern areas are more, but not in other, like not everywhere. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of poverty in places like Cornwall, or there's pockets of poverty everywhere. And this is going to hit all those people equally. So it isn't a North-South divide thing. 
it is a rich poor divide thing um what i was interested in though is the the ones around here told the line again so diana davison told the line paul howell um decided that he would tax poor people like you know every decision they've made has been well we'll raise national insurance which is a regressive uh, form of taxation um that affects poorer people more and um you know that's they these are the people who who have been put in and they are willing to lie and they are willing to pretend things they are not willing to put their necks on the line um to to um disobey boris johnson thank you paul um what an awfully depressing um edition he tells the 69th edition um the last topic that you wanted us to talk about was the suspension of Crispin Flintoff. I'm not going to allow uh, the team to talk about that. Um, I'm going to make a statement about it and, and then we're going to finish. Um, and also I would like you, if you can, to restrain yourself uh, from making any comments about what I've said uh, for reasons which I'll explain um, when I've finished. Um, I'm just going to, you, you'll see why when. Um, this is just a statement about the suspension of Crispin Flintoff. Um, Crispin Flintoff has worked tirelessly and effectively to raise morale and to raise money for Labour Party groups, both before and especially during the pandemic. He's been a wonderful Labour Party member, but he's been suspended from the Labour Party. The story is this. His CLP, CLP chair resigned, including in the resignation letter, this sentence. And I will read the words from that letter as reproduced by Crispin. Quote, anti-Semitism has been and continues to have been used for political ends, i.e. conflating anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism. As CLP secretary on the instruction of his CLP executive and without expressing any personal opinion on the matter, on the sentiment, Crispin circulated the letter to members, which was their right to see. Crispin was then suspended by the Labour Party's government and legal unit for conduct which is asserted could, quote, reasonably be seen to demonstrate hostility or prejudice based on race, religion or belief. The words in the resignation letter were not Crispin's words, and there was no indication that they were his personal belief. It therefore appears that his allegedly hostile or prejudiced conduct consisted simply of relaying at second hand, for a reason however valid, a certain form of words. Do we think the offending sentence is anti-Semitic? We will never be able to discuss this matter because it appears that in the Labour Party, simply to state those words is taken as demonstrating anti-Semitic hostility. Would it be considered anti-Semitic to reproduce that person's words at third hand without expressing any personal opinion on the sentiment, exclusively in the context of a discussion about the validity of the Labour Party disciplinary procedures? I suspect that I'm about to find out. That was not the only pertinent issue relevant to Crispin's suspension, however, because with his suspension came an instruction not to tell anybody about his suspension. 
Indeed, I'm aware of a number of other letters from the Labour Governance and Legal Unit warning and disciplining members whilst threatening them that they will be suspended if they tell anyone. How have we managed to become a party which tries to discipline its members in secret, like some petty repressive autocracy? Surely it is a human right in our democracy to be able to share such matters in public. I want to make it explicitly clear that I accept without reservation the IHRA working definition of anti-Semitism. I defend the right of the state of Israel to exist and within behavior expected or demanded of any other democratic nation to defend itself when attacked. As a teacher, I taught pupils for 40 years about the inhuman persecution of the Jewish people and the Holocaust, about the inspiring and amazingly resilient ways the Jewish people responded, and always with the message that it must, must never happen again. As a Christian, my religious faith is based upon Judaic teaching. I am openly admiring of Judaism's family and community values and practices. I am the opposite of anti-Semitic. My comments above are not even about anti-Semitism, but solely about the present disciplinary practices of the Labour Party, which have become unjust and malign and need to change. Um, you will realise that that is my um, I'm Spartacus motors at the moment. Um, and I'm not going to allow anybody to chime up with the same. And you will realise uh, why I've asked you not to comment, because although my words were very carefully chosen uh, so as not to be in any way anti-Semitic, I don't want a situation where they can say, yes, yeah, there was nothing on the surface, but there was an undercurrent which encouraged people to. And that's why I've asked you not to comment at all. Um, this is the 69th edition of... Um, political and muted. I'm 69 years of age and I think I'm proud of myself standing up against wrong. That is the end of tonight's show. The music will play. Um, we'll all go away and have a cup of, um, get ourselves another cup of coffee or a glass of water and when we return, Sam will be in charge. Thank you team. Thank you listeners. Wave bye bye everybody. Good night and God bless. Hello, it's the second half. It won't be a long second half. <laughs> yeah, you'll have noticed if you if you do usually watch this program, if you do usually. I am a, I'm a bit slow today. That's because I had my uh, COVID booster yesterday. Woohoo! Um, so I'm very pleased about that. But yeah, I have a bit of brain fog going on, but I'm okay. Uh, I did feel a Just bit think of, think of poor John. He's turned into a cartoon after his um, <laughs> statement in the first half. There, he's just, oh, he's back. He's back. He's he's animated again. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, there we go. There we go. I've took some paracetamol. I'm okay. I'm a little bit achy, but yeah, my brain isn't really isn't really here. Oh, also, it's been a long day. It's been a long week. It's been a long month. Yes, all of that stuff. Um, there was a nice point made by uh, Rachel when we were talking about the bus services that um, that was something that was actually raised by, and it's it's gone now. It's uh, lost it. Who raised by? Um, was it the UN special rapporteur when he came to the UK? Was how how basic transport is 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 so essential to to life that it is a basic 
basic thing that that we need to get right um and lots of comments along the lines of um this is not an accident you know that the, the nhs being run down transport being run down it's all it's all doing done purposefully because the, the money's being siphoned off or in particular the nhs that has been prepared sort of for sale um, and there were some good comments as, as well about how, um, and this is the argument that I always bring up when people tell me to my face that the NHS is not being privatised. And it already is privatised because when you've got waiting lists that are years and people are incentivized to go privately, you know, a lot of us will see people on our social media feeds who actually go abroad now for surgery um, that, you know, may be elective, but it may actually have some sort of long-term health impacts that would be of benefit um, if they were done at the right time in this country. So I think there's and in my case, for my children, it's occupational therapy, which is actually completely inaccessible, completely necessary. And the only way I can access it is um, through private providers that I can't afford. So unfortunately, my children have to go without. But if I had the money and those people who do just buy it because they can. Um, so that's privatised, isn't it? If you can't get it on the NHS <laughs> and the only way you can get it is by paying. And then that is very much the uh, definition of privatised healthcare. And they're doing it all over the place. Uh, there's so many services now you can't get access to unless you pay. I still don't understand the thing about the council contribution about two care homes. But one thing I was made aware of was that one of the impacts of the new social care reform is that the council has to offer the same rates to private patients as in-house patients or something like that. Anyway, top and bottom of it is, it means that care under the council is going to end up costing more for everyone. So that's another problem, but um, obviously not cooperment is enough to cogitate that at the moment. Uh, Paul, have you seen any good comments you want to bring out? Tim's uh, talking about having a, a decent malt or a water or a coffee along with the show that we go well with that. I think it was, was that one of the things John said. I've just finished a, a protein shake here. So that was that was my Ooh, last little protein thing. Shake. Yeah, yeah. Like I've just hit two, tea. <laughs> Yes. Hit two, three, five grams of protein for the day. That's That's how to live. That really is water. water. John's drinking water. Is water. Um, yeah, and and uh, they've it's just generally there've been some really really uh, nice, good, positive comments. But it's been a bit of a sad show, hasn't it? I'm I'm a bit tired of being sad now. I think I'm just gonna go for things um, because you know you can only. You know, I'm I'm really tired of what's happening with like let's say what's happened with Joe Solo this week that was a that was appalling as well, um where the 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 award we were talking about him winning, uh last week so he won the award last week, uh which was incredible and then he had it stripped from him because he had suggested something very similar to what John mentioned before the show um 
about the politicization of the of um of the issue of anti-semitism in the labor party anyone like you know and and anyone who says anything like that apparently is in in trouble even from like an organization that isn't within the labor party and i just thought like if if joe solo is going to be treated as if he's some kind of racist and he's one of the like the just one of the best human beings i've ever met if that sort of thing would get me kicked out of a political party then there's something wrong with the party there's not something wrong with me i'm like i'm i'm not accepting that kind of thing and i know john doesn't want us to say anything on this one but really what's the point really like being on such a back foot all the time worried about everything when we know when we know we'd we'd be the ones who are out there fighting against all forms of racism especially anti-semitism you know like we were the ones there who were making speeches when when there were anti-semites going into the radisson hotel in Durham, and I was stood there with a megaphone shouting at them, and there was Zeke hiling at us, and things like that. This is this is our this is the, how we live our lives, you know. Like, we would be the ones putting our bodies in the way when it came to any form of anti-Semitism, and there's this awful situation where people are attempting to cancel people. This really liberal form of anti-racism, and what they'll do is they'll try and cancel you if you say anything wrong so like let's let's use the example of in a labor party meeting if someone uses the wrong word and someone says for example as they have done colored rather than black or rather than uh, mixed heritage or anything like that do you cancel that old older person who thought that was a good thing to say and do you say right that's you you shall never be part of this party again you're going to be kicked out i'm going to suspend you or do you go don't really use that word anymore. They go, eh, I'm really sorry. And then they move on with their lives because any anti-racist worth the salt knows that you are trying to change minds and you're trying to bring people with you and you're trying to help people understand racism. Just attacking people and branding them as a racist is not any form of anti-racism at all. It is absolutely appalling. It is pathetic. It does not help. It assumes that once, like, even if, like, sometimes people haven't even done anything, but when they have done something, it assumes that that is them forever. Them at their worst is them forever. How are you going to go into a working class community and people will have made mistakes with the language time and again? I know this for a fact. I know what children say and you try to educate them to be better. If you, or or just understand what they're saying or just use better, better language, if you assume that that person cannot get any better and that is them for the rest of their life and they deserve to be punished forever for whatever it is, there is no point. There is literally no point in anti-racism if that's all it's for. It needs to be to help people to understand and develop and bring us together and bring a, bring the world closer together, not to split us into weird factions and... Uh, yeah, that's so. I'm I'm not going to tolerate this kind of nonsense anymore. I'm Have you noticed Neil Terry has obviously been reading that book, Eat Shoots and Leaves. Um, sort of, he's put changed the position of the comma on hope, not hate, and he's he's changed <laughs> the comma so it says hope not hate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Neil, I love, you're on fire tonight. That is just so clever. I love its cleverness and the punctuation rules. Okay. <laughs> and I think one thing to sort of um, keep your eyes on it is while you're looking at people and pointing fingers, um, the, the news broke today that one of our actual councillors in Durham um, is... is gone through his uh, complaints procedure for putting some really uh, Islamophobic stuff on Facebook. This is a gentleman who was a former member of the BNP. He's known locally as BN Pete. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to repeat what he put on Facebook, but it was clearly Islamophobic. There was no ifs or buts and no ambiguity about it before. And, and he more or less said in his um, hearing at Durham County Council, sort of, I've got my opinions, I'm not racist, but. <laughs> um, and, and these people are allowed to be prominent fingers in our public lives. And I think, not that I'm saying, you know, that's not important because this, but I, I do think that you've got to realise that, you know, we, we've got one of the most far-right governments um, any of us have ever seen. I wasn't around at the Thatcher, in the Thatcher years, but lots of people who I know who were say the government is more far-right than Margaret Thatcher was. And in the northeast, we have just, or oh, we are just opening our own Yarlswood detention centre for women, mm. um, which is is absolutely pointless and meaningless, except as a symbol of white supremacy. That is it. That is all it's for. All it's for is for the government to be able to say, look, we're punishing these immigrants. Doesn't that make you like us better? Um, because detention doesn't help, doesn't, doesn't fix um people overstaying on their visas doesn't fix sex trafficking doesn't fix people being trafficked into this country to tend um cannabis farms um and it doesn't deal with the causes of uh, the the global economic and the global um environmental crisis that forces people to make the very difficult decision to try and cross the channel on a dinghy nobody does that because they want to work in mcdonald's <laughs> it's it's not a fact um but that's what people are being led to believe because we've got these far right narratives running through our news media which is terrifying to me it's a worrying thing for me as well you talked about bnp earlier on there are people like him there are people who have genuinely anti-semitic views who actually have said these things uh, like some really blatant things calling me an anti-Semite on Twitter and things because I'm a Labour Party member, but them having genuine anti-Semitism there and also having a little Israeli flag in their username. You know, there is something incredibly worrying going on there when they are talking about, like, you know, you, you scroll back through and they've actually said horrible things about Jewish people, horrible, like, hateful things, like, these people are dangerous, and yet they feel comfortable enough to call someone an anti-Semite because they're in the Labour Party. Something has gone horrifically wrong in order for that to happen. Um, and I think we need to really have a think about how we want to proceed. 
So to take a quick sharp turn away from that subject and to the one that most people have been talking about this week, Boris Johnson's speech, was it intentionally fluffed? Was that designed to be bad or is he just really that incompetent? Uh, Jane, do you have an opinion? You're muted. I think it was a diversion tactic. I think I've never heard him apologise for anything. I've never heard him apologise for calling Nasneen Sky Ratcliffe a journalist, even though she's busting in a jail cell because of it. Um, but I heard him say sorry so many times then. I think he was trying to make himself look like he was making a mistake and he's vulnerable and lovable Boris and he's only human and caused a big diversion away from the NHS legislation vote. What about you, Stuart? See, I think the opposite. I think he is genuinely incompetent and he's now at the very level of where his his skill of bumbling through things has come to an end because the argument he was trying to make, I think, was that Britain sells culture. But he was trying to make it to a room full of people where he needed to make the argument that Britain will become the manufacturer of its own destiny, you know, he leaned into the idea of a 1960s Britain where we, we, where we were selling Britishness across the globe. But we can't do that anymore because of certain economic choices that we've made in the last five years, say. And, that, you know, we've now got to invert that idea. And, you know, we've got to look at building our, you know, green economy ourselves. We've got to start growing things more at home. That, that was the argument he should have been making. The fact that he relied on Peppa Pig, the, you know, the way the, the governments of the 60s and 70s would have relied on the Beatles. That's, that just shows how off, off the, the ball he is. He's really mixed up. He's messed up. He doesn't know where he's going. I think probably they should look at the damage he's done to the Peppa Pig brand and see if there's... See if they can sue him for it. <laughs> uh, John, do you have any opinions on this? Um, I was very interested in Stuart's concert ideas there. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there is some question in the news isn't there, about whether he's poorly. Um, he's certainly very tired. Um, and... Uh, um, I mean, it's sort of, I agree with Stuart, we're way past questioning whether he's up to the job, surely. I mean, we knew this, that he wasn't up to the job years ago. It's just a matter of how long, how long he can go on. And I suspect that's, um, I asked the question to Paul, you know, is he on the way out? I, I, I think exactly the opposite. I think he's all they've got at the moment. And, um, People like Paul Howell and and, and Dehenna Davison, they are just 100% behind him because they know damn well that as soon as that kind of Boris Johnson mask comes off the Tory party and it's seen for what it really is, um, that they're just going to get absolutely um, slaughtered. Um, I, I think that we've got a lot more Boris Johnson's bumbling to cope with Sam. Uh, Tim, Tim in the comments is indicating that it's it's possibly the consequence of some kind of alcohol uh, issue, alcohol withdrawal. That's certainly a rumour that exists. Um, 
<sighs> Neil says, do you not like Deanna Davison? <laughs> no. Uh, well, no, I will answer that properly. She's a lovely person, but she's got a terrible voting record. And she obviously, me and her, disagree very much on uh, what would make the world a better place. Unfortunately, she's got power. I got into terrible trouble, Sam, for saying that she was a, a, a smart cookie. And it yeah. was a dreadful things. And, and in fact, um, I meant it as a compliment. I think Deanna Davison is a very clever and percipient lady. And, mm. and, 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 and sort of, I think you underestimate her at your peril. I don't think the same, I think, I don't think the same as some of the other Tories um in in the in the region um sort of who are definitely second raters but watch out for that that lady because she is nobody's fool she's very clever and she's smart with the media as well um uh, i hold her in quite high regard that doesn't mean i agree with the damn word that comes out of her mouth but mm -hmm. sort of um sort of uh like neil has got to, has nothing to do with it at all um sort of um i reckon I, Somebody asked me if Tory backbenchers will be revolting. They to are, which point I, I had to reply that they're all revolting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Tim says he met Boris at Henley at Thames Boatshaw um, and he was not impressed with his attitude towards him then. So I guess I guess that's one of the real one of the real tricks is see what people how people treat you when they think no one's watching. Uh, you believe Tim Dredge? Do, do you believe Tim Dredge? I find it very hard. Tim Dredge has been everywhere, done everything. It, yes, was, yeah. it was like Henry Nicholson. Every every the wonderful councillor Henry Nicholson, the Shildon councillor, who's now unfortunately deceased, but a wonderful man. But every village you went to in on on, on with him around in the, the 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 planning sort of visits, he'd got the, he'd had a girlfriend in that village. Oh, I had a girlfriend here, <laughs> and he knew the cricket club and the football club. Yeah. But Tim Dredge is absolutely international. He's been everywhere and done everything, and he knows everything. He's either the most amazing man, and and we just need to give him his show, Paul. Uh, so. Or he's making it up. Which is it, Tim? <laughs> Which is it? Mm. He's a secret agent. He's he's a double O agent, and he's he's um in deep cover. <laughs> I can vouch for a lot of what he said over the past few years. Like there, there was a thing he mentioned earlier on about the UKIP thing, and that's definitely true. So I would go with all the things he said are true. Uh... Mm. Um, Paul, I haven't I haven't asked you about um, what you think about Boris and his it's, bumblings. This has been the most probably the the most the panel have disagreed on anything. <laughs> I'm gonna go down the line of it doesn't matter, <laughs> um, because you know um, they're all like they're they're. I suppose in the day, like, say, you could say, you know, which is the least smelly shit. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, 
John Major maybe wasn't such a terrible human as uh, as Boris Johnson is. Um, but, you know, whoever's going to replace Boris Johnson, who is probably going to be Rishi Sunak, you know, and he played a role in triggering the world financial crisis in 2008, and he's the Chancellor. You know, they don't get, it doesn't get better. Johnson going away doesn't get better. It just means, like, okay, what are our electoral chances? So whether or not he's bungling, whether or not, like, the fact that we're even guessing about whether he's truly incompetent and or, or not well or or he's bluffing, ma- mask slipped, you know, the guy's played the, the country like a fiddle. Even though he's not a particularly talented man, he's just someone who, it's the most interesting thing I've ever heard about Boris Johnson and it really resonates. I was listening to a podcast that was called the, the Iron Men or something like that a while back and I'll have a look for it and I'll put it in the chat before the end of the show. But um, it said that someone who he used to work for said that Boris Johnson doesn't believe in the concept of the truth. Um, he doesn't believe the truth exists. So therefore, he can't lie. So therefore, whatever he says, he says with absolute conviction because he knows it, it, for him, there's no such thing as the truth. So therefore, you can say anything. And it is no less true than anything else. And that is, that, that's why they were saying he's such a dangerous man. Um, so yeah, like, you know, all those things could be true at the same time. As far as Boris Johnson's concerned, he could be poorly and he could be bluffing and he could be um he could be just just made a mistake it doesn't it really doesn't matter because the truth is an alien concept to him and the people who follow him barbara claire has just commented that boris is great on the now show and and i have to agree with that sort of um of course, it isn't Boris on uh, Jane. Boris doesn't go on the Now Show. It's it's somebody who takes him off, takes him off, and then very very amusing. Isn't the Boris Johnson impersonator standing in a by-election somewhere? <laughs> isn't he in one of these by-elections that's going on? Oh, me, I don't know. I don't know, and I should know. Didn't should I? Google it the full list, so I'll blow tack to my cupboard wall here uh, so that I know what's happening at all times. I think what's interesting to me is that I'm getting told a lot by different people that what people value in politicians is uh, credibility and the the idea that, um, like, they're competent, competency. So I don't understand why competency is really important to voters, yet we've got this mess at the top <laughs> like what's going on um anyway that's there we go mic drop what's going no, on i would say beware on that matt sam because they lie that they tell you that what we want to know why don't politicians just answer the question do not answer the question is my my value as you go to try and be an mp it's an utter disaster. As soon as you start telling people what you think, you've no idea the bile that get, comes your way. My my advice would be to uh, for a long time and and say nothing. Say nothing. Yeah. Um, I've started listening to a podcast, which is. Uh, 
a BBC Radio 4 programme called It's a Fair Cop. It's a stand-up comedy thing by an ex-police. Do you know this one, John? Recommended. It's a <laughs> sort of go on BBC Sounds and listen to the whole yes. series. It is fantastic. I was giggling my way around B&M, I've got to say. Some of it is quite, you know, close to the knuckle. Um, but the first episode has lots of jokes about corrupt politicians, which I couldn't help having a little bit of a giggle at. So I've put, I've put that in the in the, in the the chat if people want to follow that link just for the first episode. It's 30 minutes long. Um, and he said, you know, as I was a, when I was a police officer, people used to tell me, oh, I couldn't do your job. And I said, yeah, that's because you're a hand in handcuffs. <laughs> uh, Councillor. <laughs> and obviously I can't deliver that as well as he did, but it did make me laugh. <laughs> uh, I don't intend to be in handcuffs anytime soon, but because they'll have to catch me first. Um, <laughs> right. Um, I am going to call this episode to an end. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and 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 coping with my brain fog um if you the the Stuart's wi-fi will be so much better next week because i've had this injection so everyone's gonna have better broadband because i'm gonna act as a as a transmitter for you all um remember that we are here every tuesday at nine o'clock uh we've been here every tuesday at nine o'clock for more than 69 weeks so far we have had a couple of breaks in, in there haven't we but uh, those were you know times when you're allowed a break we are on twitch twitter youtube um, and facebook and on whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts search for us socialist think tank um and you you will find us and you can also join as a member for absolutely free you can choose to donate if you want to but we are very 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 socialist so you don't get any extra benefits for donating except that warm fuzzy feeling in the bottom of your stomach when we do something nice that you agree with and you support us to do it thank you okay is there any other messages you want to pass on paul you've done it beautifully even with your brain fog well done <laughs> thank you okay then oh, we're gonna say bye bye everybody bye 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 thank you we'll take the red flag flag in here